welcome to episode 3 of my podcast. I have only recently decided to do episode 3 on the first article of question 2 of Thomas Aquinas's Summa Theologiae. Question 2 is part of a section of questions in the Summa which have been called Aquinas's Treatise on the One God. The first article of question 2 is more or less about whether or not the existence of God is self-evident. For this episode I have made use of an online version of a 1947 translation of the Summa. In the episode text on my website, markshaw.nl, you will be able to find a link to it. Let me just say a few things for those who are unfamiliar with Thomas Aquinas and his Summa. Thomas Aquinas is one of the most well-known and influential medieval Christian thinkers who wrote a great number of texts, including commentaries on books of Aristotle and the Bible. He was born in 1225 in what is now called Italy. In 1244, when he was around 19 years old, he joined the Dominican Order and was soon after sent to Paris to study at the university there. After completing his studies, he joined the theology faculty. In Paris, he worked on his Summa, which was to be a textbook for theology students. Unfortunately, Thomas died in 1274, at around 49 years of age, leaving his massive Summa unfinished. It is nevertheless one of the greatest works of medieval academic theology and is highly influential even in our own day. The Summa is more or less an ordered set of questions, answers, and arguments divided over three main parts. The treatise on the one God is found in the first part, which is made up of 119 questions, which at least generally consist of a number of articles in which Aquinas dealt with questions. The structure of the articles is at least generally as follows. First, objections to his answer to the question. Then an argument in support of it. That is followed by his answer to the question. And then lastly, a reply to the objections stated at the start of the article. In today's episode, I will deal with the introduction or prologue of the treatise and the first article of question 2. In my discussion of the article, I have deviated from its order, dealing with Aquinas' answer first before turning to the arguments. Treatise on the One God, Intro and Question 2, Article 1. Because the chief aim of sacred doctrine is to teach the knowledge of God, not only as he is in himself, but also as he is the beginning of things and their last end, and especially of rational creatures, as is clear from what has already been said, Therefore, in our endeavor to expound this science, we shall treat, first, of God, second, of the rational creature's advance towards God, third, of Christ, who as man is our way to God. In treating of God there will be a threefold division, for we shall consider, first, whatever concerns the divine essence, second, whatever concerns the distinctions of persons, third, whatever concerns the procession of creatures from him. Concerning the divine essence we must consider, first, whether God exists, second, the manner of his existence, or rather, what is not the manner of his existence, third, whatever concerns his operations, namely his knowledge, will, power. Concerning the first, there are three points of inquiry. First, whether the proposition God exists is self-evident. Second, whether it is demonstrable. Third, whether God exists. Now the first question of this last trio of questions is dealt with in the first article of question 2, which is the article under discussion here. So the question dealt with in the article is the question of whether the proposition God exists is self-evident. Aquinas' answer is roughly that this proposition, God exists, of itself is self-evident, for the predicate is the same as the subject, because God is his own existence, but that, because we do not know the essence of God, the proposition is not self-evident to us but needs to be demonstrated by things that are more known to us, though less known in their nature, namely by effects. 
It seems Aquinas probably would have agreed with the person who says, although the proposition God exists is not self-evidently true to all, it is self-evidently true to all of those who understand it, because it is in fact self-evident. Aquinas' own point seems to be more complicated than that, but it seems likely that he would have agreed with such a person. Now, I'm not persuaded that understanding the proposition sufficiently is a sufficient condition for finding it to be self-evidently true. Arguably, it is the case that existence is involved in the meaning of the word God, so that people who understand it sufficiently understand that the proposition God exists is clearly true if it is a proposition related to articulating part of the meaning of the word God. But it would then be more like the sentence, unmarried men are unmarried, than like the sentence, there exist unmarried men. I'll now read from the translation of the first argument, which offers support for Aquinas' answer to the question about the existence of God being self-evident. No one can mentally admit the opposite of what is self-evident, as the philosopher states concerning the first principles of demonstration. But the opposite of the proposition God is, can be mentally admitted. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Therefore, that God exists is not self-evident. This, or something like it, is actually a pretty good argument that the existence of God is not self-evident. Let me offer an argument more or less along its lines. Premise 1. Only those propositions are humanly self-evident which, when considered, no human being believes to be false. Premise 2. Some human beings believe the proposition God exists to be false when considering it. Conclusion. Therefore, the proposition God exists is not humanly self-evident. The first objection. I'll now read from the translation of the first objection to Aquinas' answer, which you may recall actually precedes his answer in the article and stands against it. It seems that the existence of God is self-evident. Now those things are said to be self-evident to us, the knowledge of which is naturally implanted in us, as we can see in regard to first principles. But as Damascene says, the knowledge of God is naturally implanted in all. Therefore, the existence of God is self-evident. Aquinas' reply to the first objection to his answer is roughly that human beings naturally know that God exists in a general and confused way because human beings naturally desire blessedness slash happiness and because God is man's beatitude and because what is naturally desired by man must be naturally known to him. Now, these are interesting ideas, but I'm not persuaded. A particular weak point for me is God is man's beatitude. Perhaps a stronger argument would be the following. Premise 1. All human beings desire God. Premise 2. God has, among other attributes, the attribute of existence. Premise 3. Only that of which a human being has some kind of awareness can be an object of human desire. Conclusion. Therefore, all human beings have some kind of awareness of God and God's existence. The second objection. Now I'll read from the translation of the second objection to Aquinas' answer. Further, those things are said to be self-evident, which are known as soon as the terms are known, which the philosopher says is true of the first principles of demonstration. Thus, when the nature of a whole and of a part is known, it is at once recognized that every whole is greater than its part. But as soon as the signification of the word God is understood, it is at once seen that God exists. For by this word is signified that thing than which nothing greater can be conceived. But that which exists actually and mentally is greater than that which exists only mentally. Therefore, since as soon as the word God is understood, it exists mentally, it also follows that it exists actually. Therefore, the proposition God exists is self-evident. Standing behind this argument about the proposition God exists being self-evident is one of Anselm's arguments for the existence of God, or at least an Anselmian argument for the existence of God. 
Before we deal with Aquinas' response to the second objection, let me first read a formulation of one of Anselm's arguments for God's existence, and then offer two of my own related arguments for the existence of God. So first, a formulation of one of Anselm's arguments, which is found in the Internet Encyclopedia of Philosophy. 1. It is a conceptual truth, or, so to speak, true by definition, that God is a being than which nothing greater can be imagined, that is, the greatest possible being that can be imagined. 2. God exists as an idea in the mind. 3. A being that exists as an idea in the mind, and in reality, is, other things being equal, greater than a being that exists only as an idea in the mind. 4. Thus, if God exists only as an idea in the mind, then we can imagine something that is greater than God, that is, a greatest possible being, that does exist. 5. But we cannot imagine something that is greater than God, for it is a contradiction to suppose that we can imagine a being greater than the greatest possible being that can be imagined. 6. Therefore, God exists. Okay, so it's pretty clear that something like this argument stands in the background of the second objection to Aquinas' answer to the question of whether the proposition God exists is self-evident. Now my two related, we might say, Anselmian arguments for God's existence. Argument 1. Premise 1. God is that than which nothing greater and better can be humanly conceived. Premise 2. If there exists something than which nothing greater and better can be humanly conceived, then God exists. Premise 3. If the ability to think of things greater and better of human beings is not infinite, then there exists something than which nothing greater and better can be humanly conceived. Premise 4. The ability to think of things greater and better of human beings is not infinite. Conclusion. Therefore, God exists. Argument 2. Premise 1. God is that than which there is nothing greater and better. Premise 2. If there exists something than which there is nothing greater and better, then God exists. Premise 3. If the series of beings ordered for greatness and goodness is not infinite in the direction of greatness and goodness, then there exists something than which there is nothing greater and better. Premise 4. The series of beings ordered for greatness and goodness is not infinite in the direction of greatness and goodness. Conclusion 1. Therefore, there exists something than which there is nothing greater and better. Conclusion 2. Therefore, God exists. Now, I don't know what exactly you think about these two arguments, but I myself am concerned with the second premise of both arguments. It seems to me that something can exist than which there is nothing greater and better, or than which nothing greater and better can be humanly conceived, and it still be true that God does not exist. That being said, in a slightly modified form, the arguments might be useful in building a case for the existence of God. But on to Aquinas' reply to the second objection. Aquinas' reply is roughly that the person who understands that the word God means something than which nothing greater can be thought does not necessarily understand that God not only mentally, but also actually exists. That is probably true. The third objection. Now I'll read from the translation of the third objection. Further, the existence of truth is self-evident, for whoever denies the existence of truth grants that truth does not exist, and if truth does not exist, then the proposition truth does not exist is true, and if there is anything true, there must be truth. But God is truth itself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14.6 Therefore, God exists is self-evident. Aquinas replied to the third objection that the existence of truth in general is self-evident, but the existence of a primal truth is not self-evident to us. Aquinas' reply was rather brief, and interestingly did not really dismantle the objection. 
that the objection's weakness seems to me to be the claim, translated as, God is truth itself, which was defended with reference to John 14.6. The claim itself is very hard to understand, and it is connected to what is arguably a wrongly literal interpretation of John 14.6. Well, that's all for now. I hope to deal with the next article of question 2 of Aquinas' treatise on the one God in a future episode. If you would like to send me feedback about this episode, please do so via the contact form on my website, markshaw.nl. Thank you for listening. Thank you.